I'm coming, my baby. Forget a crocodile burger, my baby. Show you a lick now you working, my baby. I'm Nick, and this is my solo episode. So Libby and I were unable to meet this weekend because I am in Chicago on business and pleasure. So we were unable to sit down and Zoom on Saturday. So I am currently in my friend Ashley's closet in her giant apartment in Old Town, Chicago. Today I wanted to talk about something that I've talked about a lot, actually, um, which is music. And as you know, if you're new or if you're not, um, in the beginning of every episode, I always go through the weekly charts and I always talk about the top 10 songs of that week and what's going on in the music world. So I actually wanted to make a quick announcement, which is that um, Heat Waves by Glass Animals just hit number one. It ousted We Don't Talk About Bruno, which was number one, I believe, for six, five weeks, five or six weeks. This is actually Glass Animals' first number one. As I was actually learning about Glass Animals and researching their past music, I came upon the discovery that they actually only have one Billboard Hot 100 entry. Now, what does that mean? I'm, I realize, you know, in past episodes, we haven't given much context to terms we're using. A Billboard Hot 100 entry is essentially a song that is charting on the Billboard Hot 100. So right now, Glass Animals has a number one hit. And this is their only number one and their only Billboard Hot 100 on the chart ever. They've charted on other charts before, like alternative rock charts, uh, British charts, but never on the Billboard Hot 100. And then that got me thinking that given that statistic, they are technically in prime position to be a one-hit wonder. Not saying that they will be or that they should, and in my opinion, they're not, because I've been listening to Glass Animals since I was like a sophomore in high school, and if anything, Heat Waves is like the least interesting song they've ever put out, to me, personally. But it got me thinking about one-hit wonders, and it got me thinking about charts, and how we kind of define the success and longevity of an artist through charts. So what follows for my solo episode is Nick Holterman's ultimate guide to one-hit wonders, and what makes one or doesn't. So first things first, let's talk about the actual metrics that define these made-up pop culture phenomenons called phenomena phenomena um of what hit wonders so the billboard hot 100 that's the standard music industry record chart for singles across all genres okay so that's a lot of words i just used an industry record chart that is essentially just a a chart that that measures impressions sales what have you of songs albums soundtracks anything really like anything involving music it's like the same as like a box office ranking for movies the billboard hot 100 is kind of the standard industry chart it is across all genres there are sub charts you know there are, there are rock centric charts there are pop centric charts i think there's country centric charts there's spanish language centric charts but the billboard hot 100 is essentially the compilation of all of those and if you're on you know for example if you're number 10 on the big billboard hot 100 you are the 10th most popular song of that week in the United States across the board. Whereas if you're number 10 on the country chart, for example, you're only the, the, the 10th most popular country song that week. So that's just a quick run on the Billboard Hot 100. The Billboard Hot 100 has been around since 1955. That originally measured 
jukebox plays. Like when you, if you would go into a diner, your grandpappy would go into a diner and put on a song on the jukebox, that would measure as a sale of sorts of that single. And that would be, that would be reflected on the Billboard Hot 100 for the next week. So artists who dominated that kind of metric were Elvis Presley, The Beatles, Roy Orbison, et cetera, et cetera. It's a metric, right? It tracks sales. It tracks radio play. It tracks streaming. Streaming goes, streaming is the newest addition to how they measure song listening because song listening has been evolving ever since songs were created, right? Before radio, there was no way to measure. And then radio became a thing. And then sales, you know, took their own form at one point and then streaming happened and iTunes and whatever, whatever. So the billboard chart has evolved throughout the the decades to reflect consumer activity. And this is getting really boring, but I promise it won't be. So the billboard hot 100 having established now that what we're talking about when we, when we talk about Bruno, when we talk about the weekly charts is we are just talking about the songs that have the most cumulative radio play streaming hits and sales. And I don't know if I went over sales yet, which I didn't actually, but sales is like iTunes. Like if you buy something on iTunes or if you went into a record store and bought a physical copy of a song, which no one does anymore, but that's originally what sales were. So now that we've had, we have the base down pat for these metrics and how they measure song success. I want to talk about one hit wonders. I think one hit wonders are so interesting because one hit wonders like no other thing in music kind of reflect the way music is consumed in its respective era. So now I have to define what a one hit wonder is. I feel like we all have an idea of what a one hit wonder is, but just for brevity's sake, a one hit wonder is a song that achieves such massive success. It overshadows everything they do later on and they're only known for that one song. So we know what a one hit wonder is. We know what the Billboard Hot 100 is. We know how the charts now reflect audience behavior and music consumption. And we know that a one-hit wonder is often defined by its relationship to the Billboard Hot 100. We have songs like 99 Luftballons by Nena from the 80s. 99 Luftballons. Everyone knows that song. Look it up if you don't. My Sharona by The Knack. My Sharona. Everyone knows that song. Look it up if you don't. Ice Ice Baby by Vanilla Ice. I'm not going to sing that. The Macarena by Los Del Rio. We all know that song. Video Killed the Radio Star by The Buggles. These are all great examples of one-hit wonders from the eight, from the 70s. I think my Sharona is from the 70s. Mainly from the 80s and the 90s, okay? 80s are important. The 80s are an important decade. And so are the 90s, but mainly the 80s. Why? Because the 80s are the, the peak of one-hit wonder culture. Why is that? Well, there are so many new bands, so many new artists in the 80s. A lot of them become very successful, become iconic. Michael Jackson, Madonna, Cyndi Lauper, what have you. And a lot of them don't. Most of them don't. There's a huge bottleneck when the 80s end, actually, of, of bands that just didn't make it. And so why are there so many bands and artists in the 80s that achieve massive success for such short time? Because of the way the industry changed, the way that music consumption changed. In the 70s and 60s and before, you either went to a jukebox and played a, mu- and played a song or you went to a record store and bought a single or an entire album, normally an entire album. When my dad would go buy music, he would buy an entire Led Zeppelin um, album on vinyl. A lot of bands, especially I think bands like Led Zeppelin, didn't even release singles. 
And now I kind of have to backtrack again. So what's the difference between a single and an album? A single is what it sounds like. A single is a cut from the album, a single song from the album that is released as a standalone piece of work, normally to promote the album in its release. A single is a very corporate scheme. It, it, a lot of artists historically that were kind of opposed to the commercialization of their music didn't release singles. Pink Floyd would not release singles because they wanted their their listeners to buy the whole album from the store, go home, and listen to it front to back. Singles kind of negate the the need to listen to an entire album start to finish. But again, it's not really worth arguing about because everyone our age and in our generation has been listening to singles since we were born. Singles are kind of the name of the game. Singles are the most important um, when it comes to to artist exposure and recognition in the general public. Obviously, albums, album sales are more impressive. If you can sell an album, that's a lot more impressive than selling a single because it's easier to sell a single. They're, it's, it's shorter. It's easier to listen to. Before the 80s, I'm circling back now. Before the 80s, single culture, let's say, is less prevalent. Record labels are not really promoting and selling their artists work as specific uh, songs as specific singles um as much at this time the 80s happens though and this creates a paradigm shift why because we get things like mtv which showcases music videos and and normalizes music videos essentially you can go on your television in 1984 and watch a song play out and on your screen in visual format so music videos kind of really push the individual song, the idea of an individual song of a hit. And, you know, we have artists like Madonna and Janet Jackson and Prince and Michael Jackson that really kind of, you know, pioneer this format. Their songs become massively successful because they have extremely engaging and good music videos that take advantage of the fact that you have an entire generation of of kids and young adults that are watching television. Not only does does music video culture kind of lend itself to creating more of a demand for individual songs, this demand for individual songs means that a lot of new artists and 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 bands get really famous off individual songs. If you have one song that I keep wanting to use the word go viral, but that didn't exist back then. If you have one good song that was a hit on MTV, your, your random video got airplane MTV, your song goes, get, becomes a hit, it, it, it snowballs, it gets number one on the Billboard Hot 100, your subsequent songs could flop, right? And then you become a one-hit wonder, which is exactly what happens to so many new wave bands, specifically new wave bands, because again, this is kind of a bubble of, of, of music genre that just explodes in the 80s and kind of fizzles out and pops by the 90s. It's essentially like the 80s version of going viral on TikTok. Like this one song, you know, has a trend named after it that just blows the fuck up and then you never hear about it again. You know, I was in Japan, I was in when I want. Like, I don't know who makes that song. That song did great on the charts because of TikTok. I don't know who makes that song. I'll never listen to any other other of their songs again. Probably not. Roses, that's what it's called. But that song's a smash. TikTok is the new MTV. Rose, I don't know how so I don't know the lyrics. So, we have this paradigm shift in the eighties, right, guys? Let's let's circle back. We have this paradigm shift in the eighties. We have the birth of the one-hit wonder. We have so many iconic songs that take over the world. Okay, 
spin you spin me round like a record by dead or alive you know that song you spin me right around baby not the florida version the original version that's a one-hit wonder that video is very popular that song is very popular can you name another song by dead or alive can your parents i don't think so so we have one hit wonder culture now we're peak one hit wonder culture and this extends into the 90s with you know songs like the macarena and ice ice baby by vanilla ice because you know music videos are still big in this moment this extends into the 2000s itunes you know where you can buy one song individually only makes it easier to listen to one song at a time you have songs like mercy by duffy which hit extreme highs on the uk and and american charts none of her subsequent releases do very well in the united states there's actually a lot of rant of insane shit that happened to duffy that we learned about recently that i'm not going to talk about because it's really bleak but that's kind of a, a good example of a 2000s one hit wonder sweet disposition by the temper trap is another good example you know songs that are everywhere movie trailers ipod commercials you know these songs, but you don't know other songs by these artists. And if you do, yeah, you know, there's always that one person's like, yeah, I, wanna, I know, I know all their songs. I was like, yeah, obviously, like, you know. And then you have songs like "Somebody That I Used to Know" by Gautier, like a G6 by Far East Movement. These are the one-hit wonders of the 2010s. But you'll notice a trend here with each decade from the 80s. There are fewer and fewer one-hit wonders. You know, you have so many in the late 80s, early 90s. Nothing compares, nothing compares to you. So many. They're everywhere. Every time I touch myself. And you get less and less as time goes on. We don't actually even have that many of the 2010s. In fact, if you go on the Wikipedia page for One Hit Wonders, there's only about eight One Hit Wonders in the 2010s. And a lot of them are songs I've actually never heard of. The most notable one is obviously somebody that I used to know by Gautier and Like a G6 and Riptide by Vance Joy, which I think is actually an amazing example of a one-hit wonder. A song that just dominated the airwaves for a couple months and we never heard from Vance Joy again. But why then, you ask, are there fewer one-hit wonders now? And I will answer. It's called Streaming. Remember when I said that this focus on individual songs kind of facilitated the emergence of one-hit wonders? And what way of listening is m- more single-focused than streaming, the, the method we all use now? Nothing. Streaming is probably the most single-song-focused way of listening to music. And yet, paradoxically, streaming has kind of created a world in which one-hit wonders don't really exist anymore or they're few and far between so why is that let's use lord as an example in 2013 lord releases royals it slowly reaches the top of the charts through word of mouth and through being put on spotify playlists teenagers are listening to this song i'm listening to this song while i drive to sat tutoring okay this song is a hit it hits number one it makes lord a superstar people are freaking the fuck out she's like 16 she's from new zealand she's like suddenly the most famous person from new zealand ever this is her only number one hit to date she never has another number one hit after this for all intents and purposes the general public kind of knows her as the royals girl 
So why is she not a one-hit wonder? Well, aside from the fact that she does technically have another top 10 hit, she's also managed to stay relevant in the public eye. And she's also managed to get her albums streamed and bought. Her second album, Melodrama, goes number one on the Billboard Hot 200, sorry, on the Billboard 200, which is the albums chart. Her first album, Pure Heroin, did not go number one in the United States. Her second album does. By law, by one-hit wonder law, you cannot be a one-hit wonder if your second album goes number one. Even if her second album didn't actually sell that well, eventually, it did go number one. It was that anticipated that it went number one. So Lord has now two top 10 hits and a, num- and a number one album, right? So she's not a one-hit wonder. And she's and and of course not. She's like a folk legend. We all love Lord. She's an indie darling. She's iconic. She's arguably the inventor, inventress of minimalist indie girl pop of the twenty tenth. She's the reason why we have an avocados. We have this is the she's the reason why we hate all those TikTok singers' voices on my thumb like that because that's her that's all lord she's extremely impactful she's not a one-hit wonder right she would be a one-hit wonder if it wasn't for streaming though because if streaming didn't exist and let's say in a world we live in a world where lord gets a number one hit with royals through radio play or sales you're going to the store and or you're going to itunes store let's say and buying royals but you're not streaming her. You don't have a generation of teenagers going on Spotify and playing her music constantly. The fact is most young people under the age of 26 can name five Lord songs because she was big. Even if only among, even if her non-Royals songs were, were big among a specific subset of the population, streaming allowed her to cultivate a very devoted and dedicated fan base, a large fan base, not like you know, Rihanna level fan base, but it's a sizable fan base. Because of streaming, you know exactly when her music drops. You have access to all her music at any moment and you can continuously play it. You don't have to keep going to a store and buying it. You don't have to buy it from the iTunes store. You know, and on, on the iTunes store, the it only counts as an impression when you buy the song. You keep playing it after you buy it. That's not counting as, a, as an impression. Streaming is every time you play the song, that's counting as a sale of sorts. So even though streaming doesn't make any money for the artists, it the the caveat is it increases exposure. It builds kind of dedicated fan bases. It creates echo chambers. It creates bubbles. And because of this, our music consumption and our culture is very fragmented and divided. You have entire pockets of people that all listen to the same stuff. And then you have other pockets of people that listen to different things. And they don't really overlap. But in each of these groups' worlds their respective artist is the biggest artist in in the world. Like at one point I was streaming a lot of Roy Orbison, who is this artist from the 1950s and 60s. And if you asked me who the biggest artist in the world, in my world at the time I was listening to him, I would say Roy Orbison, a guy who's literally been dead for like 50 years. Because that's all I was listening to thanks to streaming because I was just obsessed with him for two months straight. I probably created like a little spike in his in his streaming metrics if you like could print out the Excel spreadsheets. That was me. <coughs> it's really dry in this closet. So streaming has kind of created this in this this situation where you have 
pockets of people that are really, really into their specific artists. Okay, and streaming allows hype to build and build and build for specific artists. It allows their songs to debut at the top of the Billboard Hot 100 for a week, which essentially means they get so many streams that they are the most popular song in the country for that week. And debuts are getting more and more common now because with streaming and because streaming is so heavily weighted now, you can literally just send a song skyrocketing to the top of the charts by announcing to your dedicated fan base that your song is coming out on Spotify on Friday. And this this sounds like so obvious to all of us, right? Because we all grew up streaming. But it's interesting, actually. And it's it's actually a relatively new development in how audiences at large listen to music. Because a lot of older people only listen to the radio. And if you're listening to the radio, you're not hearing Lord on the radio. And if you're listening only to the radio, you think Lord's a one-hit wonder. But most people wouldn't say Lord's a one-hit wonder who are under a certain age and listening to Spotify, right? However, everyone agrees that the Macarena is a one-hit wonder because in the Macarena's time in the 1990s, I think it was 1998 or 6, there was no streaming, so the only way you could hear the Macarena was on the radio. Or if you went to a record store, but again, why would you go to the record store to buy the Macarena? It was on the radio. After the Macarena wave had passed, there was no way for them to promote their new song because there was no streaming. You know, they could try to, they could try to get their song on, on the radio, but if people aren't hooking onto it, they're not hooking onto it. You know, they don't, they didn't, establish that dedicated fan base with streaming all in all because culture and music is so fractured in other words people don't just listen to the radio they listen to curated spotify playlists that cater to existing tastes and preferences you get artists like carly ridge epson another good example who have a number one call me maybe dominated the charts in 2012 that's her only top 10 hit in the united states her only number one yet by no metric is she a num- is she a one-hit wonder why Because thanks to streaming and Instagram and social media, she has established herself as a niche musician, as an indie darling, a gay icon of sorts, thanks to her fans. Uh, Her second album, um, oh my god, what's it fucking called? Uh, Wait, it's the really good one. Her second album. (sighs) I actually forgot the name of her second album, and I'm like contorted in such a way in Ashley's closet that I actually can't type into my computer. Um, but you know the album I'm talking about. It has run away with me. It's a great album. That It's like a legendary album. Um, it will come to me. That kind of cemented her place as a niche indie darling and not a one-hit wonder. However, if you ask the average 40-year-old, if they like that album or if they can name a song from that album, they'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Is that the Call Me Maybe girl? Exactly, you know? So it's fractured. We're segmented into specific populations and generations and demographics. So another great example, Lil Nas X. For the longest time, people were saying he's going to be a one-hit wonder. He is the longest running number one song in history. And normally when you have a song that is that explosive and that big right out of the gate, it's really hard to follow it up. And it's really hard to make a song that sticks after a song that you already made so aggressively sticks in everyone's ears that it gets annoying. And it's been, you know, so omnipresent for so long. Old Town Road dominates 2019. It's the best-selling song of 2019. It's everywhere. It's number one in the United States for 19 weeks straight. That's a huge song. How can he follow it up? He's a one-hit wonder. He's a has-been easily. 
it's over Phil Lil Nas X. And for a while, it does seem like that. You know, his next song, Panini, actually debut, I think gets number five. But no one really knows that song outside of, again, the fans. He has a song called Holiday that he releases in late 2020. Doesn't really make a mark. He waits a little bit and releases Call Me By Your Name in mid-2021. With the help of an extremely well-made and interesting and provocative music video, again, hearkening back to MTV, that goes viral on YouTube and on TikTok and on Twitter, with him aggressively promoting this song across his social media platforms, memeing himself, you know, encouraging others to create memes, he gets so many streams for this song that it goes number one its first recorded week on the Billboard Hot 100. He debuts with a number one song more than a year after Old Town Road dominated the charts. Two years, actually. Exactly almost two years. (coughs) He proves the naysayer is wrong. He's not a one-hit wonder. He wasn't a one-hit wonder before that anyways because... You know, he was still active on social media and, you know, still active in pop culture. But this song really made it so that you couldn't even say he didn't have another number one. Now he has two number one songs. And even if Old Town Road's obviously the bigger song, it doesn't matter. By the laws of One Hit Wonder land, he's not a one hit wonder. He gets another number one hit months later with Industry Baby with Jack Harlow. So now he has three number one hit singles. For context, this is more than Britney Spears had in 2002, and she was never considered a one-hit wonder. Okay, so we know that Lil Nas X is not a, a one-hit wonder by this point. He has three number one hit singles. He has multiple number uh, top ten hits. He has an album that hits number two um, on the Billboard 200. He's everywhere. His fashion on the red carpet, his social media presence, his ability to go viral, his thirst traps, all of these contribute to his lasting power in pop culture and not only that one of the most successful artists so far of this decade and you might be thinking well that's kind of vapid and stupid that you can leverage you know your social media activity and to essentially generate streams and manipulate audience behavior but that's i don't agree because i think that's part of promotion and i think that's just the way the game is played now how is it any different than making you know selling your song to to apple to put it into an ipod nano commercial i don't see any difference if you can get on your phone and make a tiktok promoting your song five thousand times a day it seems just as fine and valid as a a real metric as any other form of promotion from the past so that's kind of my thesis on why one hit wonders don't actually exist anymore is because If you are savvy, if you are able to market yourself, if you are able to latch onto the fan base you create with your initial song because they are young and and their habits suggest that they will continue to follow and listen to your music, you will not be a one-hit wonder. Now, bringing it back to Glass Animals. Will Glass Animals be a one-hit wonder? By the way, this is not a hard and fast rule. One-hit wonders still exist and will continue to exist, which is why I'm even positing this. I'm just saying they're rarer now. Will Glass Animals be a one-hit wonder? In my book, no, because by my by my metric, uh, their first album was really good. And to me, again, thanks to streaming and Spotify as a sophomore in high school, was everywhere. If you asked me where Gooey was on the charts, I'd be like, probably like at least in the top 20. It never even hit the charts. But to me, that was a huge song in high school. Again, just an example of how fragmented and kind of personalized music consumption is among people 
our age. So to me, Glass Animals will not be a one-hit wonder. Even if Hit Heat Waves is their only number one hit, which it probably will be, and their only Billboard Hot 100 entry, which it probably might be, uh, I don't think they'll be a one-hit wonder because I don't think the rules are hard and fast anymore because they'll always have a, a fan base because they'll always have people who like Glass Animals. But here's my theory. I think this will open doors for them and I think they will their next song they release will get so much buzz from this song getting number one finally. And for context, this is the longest it's ever taken a song to reach number one on the chart. It took about 59 weeks, if I'm not mistaken. That's a really long time. More than a calendar year from start to finish. That's an impressive feat. People love a Cinderella story like that. People love a sleeper hit. So I think with that buzz around the single their next single or at least their next album will do well and again remember in the rules of one hit wonderland if you have a number one single but no other number one singles but then your album your subsequent album you release after does really well you are no longer a one hit wonder you're safe okay because albums show even more interest in you than than a single does so i'm looking at their at their chart right now at their album release um, discography. I'm lying. I'm not lo- looking at it. My computer just died. But I am. I looked at it earlier, and I kind of don't remember the exact numbers, but the trend was this. Their first album didn't really even chart in the United States. Their second album charted much higher. Their third album, this one, I believe hit the top 10, I think number seven, and I believe number two in the UK. I think thanks to the exposure given to them by this song, their next album will do even better. I think it will hit number one in the UK and in the US if they time it right and release it at the right time, thus making them not a one-hit wonder. Okay, again, does it even matter if you're a one-hit wonder? Do any of these artists complain about being a one-hit wonder? No, they get extremely rich from their time in the spotlight. But from lore perspective, from from history from the perspective of history and lore and intrigue it's fun to think about these things and so that is kind of my little segue into a contextualizing billboard metrics and the hot 100 and how we measure audience listening of music so now in subsequent episodes when we talk about these songs and we say, oh, they went up four places in the Billboard Hot 100 or they hit number one or they debuted at number one or, you know, they are now in the top 10, you know what we're talking about and you know the significance of the Billboard Hot 100. You know why I'm talking about the Billboard Hot 100 and not the country music chart or the R&B chart. I'm talking about the Billboard Hot 100 because that's the cumulative reflection of what America is listening to across all genres and that's why it's important to track. And now, you know, when we talk about one-hit wonders and your grandpa says that that, you know, gay cowboy guy Lil Nas X only had that one hit song, you can pull up his Billboard Hot 100 chart history and show him those two other number one hit songs he has. And you can also show him how many Instagram followers he has. And you can also show him a picture of himself shirtless because he's a very good looking man. And that's it. That's my little speech. That's my little lesson. That's my masterclass. What do you guys think? My computer's dead. I'm in Chicago in this closet. I've been actually stretching my arm out and pressing 
Ashley's like dress against the wall because it keeps hitting my face and like obstructing my mouth when I try to talk into the phone. So I've been like, like that, like just pressing against the wall. So now my arm is asleep. There's a corner of her dresser sticking into my butt. But I'm glad I did this, you guys. I really wanted to have this one-on-one time with you and talk about this subject that I'm really, really passionate about because I know Libby got to do it. And I think, I know she talked about multiple subjects, but I think music, I think we go through it really quickly and it's good to talk about um, and kind of, you know, take a breather and discuss. Billboard metrics are fun. It doesn't require you to take a class. It doesn't require you to even pay that much attention. You just go on Wikipedia or a good Reddit is r slash popheads on, on Reddit. They love dissecting and breaking down these metrics. It's fun. It's like fantasy football. It's like, you know, math, but not really. It's like if Excel spreadsheets were fun. It's great. I love it. Um, it's a great hobby. I very much recommend looking up your favorite artist and seeing how many Hot 100 songs, or sorry, how many number ones they have. It's a fun party trick. I can name most popular artists number ones and how many they have. Ask me anytime. It's not a flex. It's literally just memorizing information I read on a computer screen. It's really fun. So with that, guys, have a great week. I can't wait to see you next week with our special, special guest that Libby and I have lined up, assuming she doesn't cancel. And I'm going to leave this closet and go watch some YouTube on Ashley's really small TV. Bye.